Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, we're joined by Matt Lewis, head coach at Wisconsin Oshkosh. In his first year as the interim head coach, Matt Lewis led his team to a D3 national championship. In this episode, he shares how they went on the court with their systems and strategies, how they stay committed to high standards in every practice, and how they're building their culture every day. There are some great ideas and practical applications you can take back to your team in this episode. Before we start, a quick word from PGC Coaching. Coaches, our in-person clinics are back and we couldn't be more excited. Don't settle for being the same coach next season that you were last season. Our PGC coaching clinics will give you the tools, knowledge, and inspiration to transform your coaching so you get the results you deserve. Every clinic features 22 different topics covering all aspects of the game, including essential practice drills, offensive systems, defensive systems, dealing with parents, building a winning culture, and so much more. Join us this fall in Phoenix, Louisville, Atlanta, Dallas, Salt Lake City, or Chicago. If you're ready to take your coaching and your team to new heights, go to pgccoaching.com to select your clinic and sign up. That's pgccoaching.com. All right, welcome back to the Hardwood Hustle. We have a special guest, Matt Lewis here. And uh, Matt is the coach at Oshkosh, and he is a national champion at the Division III level. Um, I got just a starter question here for you, Matt. So in 2018-19, you were named the interim coach and won a national championship, which probably happened around March. And then you were named the head coach, moved the interim tag on May 1st. What happened in April? Why did it take them so long to remove this tag? You just won a dang national championship. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely some hurdles that that go with the the state system. Um Ultimately, it was it was still a good experience, and it was kind of fun in a way. Um, you know, the the on campus interview for for the open forum it was a lot of fun because it was people I'd gotten to know over my my time in Oshkosh, and so it was a very relaxed, kind of almost enjoyable environment. Um, and so I I didn't mind the process, and, and ultimately I wound up as the head coach, so I really didn't mind it at that point. Well, you kind of set the bar high for yourself on on the first year, right? I mean, you come out of the gates and win a national championship and, and it's uh it's a pretty high bar to get us started but Tay, we're really glad that you joined us today and look forward to talking hoops and everything that makes a championship uh team with you today sam's going to start us off with a question yeah so when you take that one step over the next chair over you know you don't know what you don't know sometimes you can be as prepared for the moment as you think but then once you are making the decision so maybe just talk to us and our coaches and listeners about what you learned, what you thought you knew, you and then you know what what you re, had to relearn, and just that whole process of stepping one seat over. I'd love to hear more of your experience with that. Yeah, absolutely, and obviously that's a transition that that I think a lot of people aspire to to make at some point, right? To to become an assistant coach, um, whether it's the the top assistant or just a, a second assistant of some kind, and at some point earn the opportunity to, to shift over and. Uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, my first two years out of college, I was a director of operations um, for Ed Conroy at Tulane. Uh, and he had a tremendous staff. And then I worked for Pat Yuckum for six years at Oshkosh. And over the course of those eight years, uh, the, those two experiences really exposed me to a lot. Both the, the programs at Tulane and at Oshkosh, they, they tried to open our eyes as assistants or the director of ops 
to as many things as possible that go on inside of a program. And with the hope that the people that, that were working there one day became head coaches, you know, that's, and now I sit here as a head coach and I want the same thing for my assistants. Um, but it was, it was really good. Those eight years. Like I, when, as soon as I, I shifted over a chair, I at least felt like I knew what needed to be done on a daily basis. I may not have done it yet. Right. I, I I've run camps and, and some of the academic, a lot of recruiting. I've done some fundraising as an assistant, but I, there might be other things I hadn't done, but I, at least the coaches had prepared me for these things need to be done. Like expect that, that you're going to have to do this on a daily basis. And so the, I shifted over a chair and I at least, all right, here's, here's the outline for how it should work. Um, and then it was a matter of, of trying to learn how to do some of those other things. Uh, and I think one of the big things that, that you're, you're never fully prepared for until you become a head coach is just that truly every decision lands on your desk. You know, small things about, you know, how you're going to you know, go about maybe a daily practice plan. But then it's, it's, you know, the really big things when it comes to, you know, at what point, you know, do you, do you recruit a kid or do you stop recruiting a kid? Or, you know, how do you deal with little things that, that occur on a daily basis within your program on your current roster? Um, and so it's just these myriad of decisions that, that occur and, and you just, there's no way to be prepared for it until you're a head coach. Um, and, and I think that I was really fortunate that that first year, especially we had, we had a lot of guys back from, from the 17, 18 season going into the 18, 19 season. And so I had players that, that were really bought in and fortunately didn't, they didn't challenge me too much on things like it, it was it was fairly easy going. They just they were already bought into what we do at Oshkosh. And then I had tremendous assistance and several of the assistants had been head coaches at the high school level. And so those guys were really good resources. You know, it was my first time as a head coach, but I could turn to two guys on my staff who had been head coaches and go, all right, what would you do in this situation? Um, so I, I think the the guys in my eight years prior to being head coach really prepared me well. And I was just fortunate to be around really good people uh, my, my first year as a head coach. Yeah. And to, to win it all in that first year, not just only your, your conference championship, but to win a national championship, what an amazing, you know, feat. But when you look prior to you taking over, Matt, you guys, you guys were good and you had some success, but not even anywhere close. And so, I say that to ask this question is what two or three changes when you took over, do you think really propelled y'all to, to not only, you know, leveling up in your own conference, but on a national level, uh, what, what two or three things did you do to, to, to make or to help take your team to that level? Yeah, honestly, I, I don't think I changed a whole heck of a lot when, when I shifted from the assistant to the head coach, um, I spent six years as the assistant under Pat Yuckum and we made, we made wholesale changes in 2012. Like when we took over uh, that first summer, Pat was hired and then I was hired with him and, and we made some drastic changes. Um, and then we stayed really committed to those things through all the way through 2018. Um, when, when I became the head coach, um, our whole thing was, was a recommitment to the standards. Like we had established some really high standards for ourselves, but I think in order to, to achieve, national success like we did and then sustain it you've got to be committed to some crazy high standards on an every everyday basis um and so that was you know 1920 we had another good year um this year obviously i 
know, it is what it is, but going into next year, like our whole thing is we are committed to these standards every single day. And, and so we've, we've had standards written down every year at Oshkosh. We, we define them as a team. We sit down, we have a meeting. All right, here are our standards for this year. And of course we stole it from Duke, right? If, if anybody's followed Duke, they do it. And so we, we have standards every single year and we, we sign them, we commit to them. And then the next fall, we look at them and we may tweak them. We may keep them exactly the same as the year prior, but we know in order to achieve the success we want to, it's a daily basis thing. Like we've got to live up to these standards every single day. And so I, I didn't make wholesale changes because I thought we were in a really good place in 2018. Um, but I wanted our guys to recognize in order to continue to build this thing, we needed to recommit to it uh, every single day. Matt, what were some of the standards that allowed you to separate? Like, what are some things that you felt like the, these standards um, allowed us to achieve what we achieved? We have simple ones, you know, such as like our, our approach in the weight room. Like we, we believe in and if anybody's ever watched, you know, kind of Midwest basketball, Wisconsin basketball, um, the WEAC in particular, it is a very physical, tough league. And so one of our standards, and we explain it in the recruiting process, is, is we have a serious commitment to the weight room. And we talk about lifting at a championship level, every rep of every set of every lift that we do all year round. Like we, we are going to lift at a championship level. Um, it doesn't matter if the strength coach is there, if you're lifting on your own, if, if you're in the training room and that's your lift for the day, cause you're rehabbing, you're doing it at a championship level. Um, we've got, you know, a couple that are just, you know, no excuses. We have what it takes to win. You know, I, I don't care what the roster looks like, what opponent we're playing no excuses. Like the roster we have in our locker room, the guys we have in our locker room are good enough to win. It's just a matter of getting it done. Um, we're really big into to just being high character, great teammates. And so we have several that, that deal with our decision-making off the floor, you know, how we handle ourselves in and out of the dorms in the community, um, our, our concept of being one fist and rolling together. Uh, so it's, it, I think if you read them, you know, you probably are like look at them and go, oh, this is all stuff that everybody knows. Um, it's just this is what we're really committed to. Um, and, and currently there's only 13 of them. Um, and so it's, we try not to overcomplicate. We're, we're really big into keeping it simple uh, for the guys and, and for us as coaches. Matt, talking about the weight room, just that's that particular standard and, and, and uh, getting players to hold the standard. What benefits did you specifically get? from the weight room like as coaches say hey we're going to build out a strength program and i think a lot of coaches good intentions fall off of it you know maybe we'll just kind of maintain a little bit but you had a real dedication to that like what was the benefit of that for your players and your team yeah i think if if you watch you know just the the best teams at your level i don't i don't i don't care if it's if it's middle school high school college pros like the best team usually have the stronger tougher, more physical kids, right? Rarely does, does the team that, that is giving up, you know, toughness and, and size and strength, does that team win? Usually it's, it's the stronger team. And so our, one of our goals from 2012, and it still is today, is to always be the stronger, tougher team on the court. Um, is that always going to happen? Like, are you always going to weigh more than, than the kid standing next to you? No. But there's a mindset that comes with it, too. Like if, if you've invested every single day as hard as you can possibly invest in the weight room and, and your goal is to be the toughest team, then somewhere kids are going to buy into it that they are the tougher kid. Even if they've even if they're giving up 10 or 
15 pounds, they're going to think they're, they're as tough or tougher than the kid they're going up against. And so I think it's just been a, a mindset change for our guys is like, we, we work our tails off in the weight room. We, we, we are pretty strong. Um, like there's a point of that, but we're not always the strongest, you know, biggest dude on the block. It's just, there's a mindset that goes with us, but we are, we have invested, we are tough and we can compete with anybody that we step on the court with because of that. Yeah, that's so good. The the mental edge that you gain in the weight room, I think, is as much as the physical, although that's that's a nice benefit. Matt, let, let's shift over into what you guys do from a system and strategy standpoint and offensively in your motion offense. Can you just share an overview of what y'all do, your principles and your approach? Sure. Yeah, we're, we're a motion offensive team. Um, I think one of the, the big things that, at our level – is having a system obviously that is is fun you can recruit to it um, and then having a system that allows you to be successful at the most important time of the year um, and and the most important time of the year for us is is deep in conference play conference tournament and and hopefully the national tournament and so motion uh, is both of those things you know it's it's really fun to play um, there's a ton of freedom that goes with it uh, and then it then it allows us to be really good because motion evolves over the course of a season. And then over the course of seasons, when you have continuity in your program, our motion is is fairly simple. Um, our whole thing is, is we're trying to create advantages uh, with and for our teammates. And so how we create an advantage uh, may look different from, you know, player to player, lineup to lineup. Um, year to year, you know, it just kind of looks different depending on who's out there. Cause not everybody is, you know, excels at a certain thing, but we set a, a lot of ball screens um, as, as most teams do right now. Um, but we've got several little guards on our team that are very good in ball screens. And we have some forward slash post players that are really good at, at setting and kind of playing out of those with those guards. And so we get into two man games on the ball as we call what we call those. And then off the ball, we, we do still screen off the ball. You know, we're not a we're not a ball screen only motion. We're, we're a true motion that, that incorporates both. Um, and so we primarily we're setting, you know, kind of back screens or flare screens that threaten the rim. We really are big, like in our screening actions off the ball, that somebody has to pressure the rim. Um, we occasionally will set kind of down screens wide on the floor. But you've got to be careful anytime you screen off the ball. Uh, if it's done at the wrong time uh, or not executed correctly, it can kill spacing. And so you've just, you've got to be alert and aware of, you know, when am I screening off the ball? Is it, is it adding value? Is it good time to do it? Um, but ultimately we want to create an advantage, whether it's on the ball, off the ball, um, potentially a post touch, you know, obviously a, a drive is, is that, or a cut. After we create an advantage, it's all about playing off the advantage. And so we try and do drills um, you know, whether it's on air type stuff or it's two on two, three on three, four on four that all right, here you go. You're creating an advantage out of this action and then you're going to play off that advantage. And so guys recognize, all right, we've got an advantage. Now we need to give each other space to play the game of basketball, because I do think that's one real challenge about motion. Uh, and depending on what type of motion you run, you know, everybody probably sees the similar challenges. If, if you're trying to create advantages through screening and not through, you know, guys making decisions in and amongst themselves and not through set action where you're telling guys to go stand in spots, if kids are having to make decisions, 
sometimes the floor can get pretty crowded on you. And so guys have to learn, players have to learn how to give each other space. Uh, so that's that's been a really big thing for us the last four or five years as we continue to evolve is to try and get guys to recognize when to give each other space and just kind of get out of each other's way. I watched a little bit of your team on uh, Synergy. It looked like you posted guards occasionally too, whether it was via the dribble or just a, a post touch. Yep. What are some general ways when your offense is flowing and running really well that you're getting shot generation? I mean, you talked about playing off the ball screen. What are you looking for off the ball screen? You talked about the screens. What do you look for? Like what kind of advantages are you hoping to create? Yeah, I see, we, we want the kind of the big three shots as most everybody does. We want open in rhythm threes, hopefully off of some type of pass that's inside out rather than lateral or off the bounce. Um, the inside out three is, is definitely the best one. We want shots, um, hopefully inside eight feet that are angles, like get to the rim, not shooting over the top of people at, at nine, 10 feet. And we want a ton of free throws because the still the most efficient shot in the game of basketball is a free throw. And so anything that we do is with that in mind. Like if, if you put the ball in the lane off of a ball screen or you get a post touch or you cut in there, or maybe you've set a back screen, you've popped and you've driven the basketball. Um, once you get in the lane, we want you playing strong and balanced and either trying to, to score it by getting an angle to the rim, um, get fouled or to share the basketball and see if we can get an inside out three of some kind. Um, and I think those are, pretty standard uh, concepts and shots that people are looking for. But you know, ultimately, it's like, how well do guys buy into it? How well do, do people execute it? And so, you know, we, we do post a decent amount. We do set a lot of ball screens. We do drive the basketball and try and give each other space. Like we try and have a combination of all of it. But ultimately, it's all searching for the same thing. Like you want inside out threes. Um, you want shots around the rim that hopefully aren't over the top of bodies. And you want free throws. Um, and, and again, we just try and keep it really simple so our guys understand what we're looking for. That's really good. And, you know, in a motion offense, Matt, how do you manage this where it sometimes is an equal opportunity shot offense where everybody has an opportunity to create a shot for themselves? Yet on any team, very rarely do you have just equal shot makers or shot takers. So how do you manage as a coach role identification within your motion offense? Sure. Um, so a couple of ways. I think one is, is we started in the recruiting process, quite honestly. Like our, our whole thing, again, is being high character, great teammates. And so, we, you know, our, our best teams at Oshkosh so far have been pretty balanced. Um, there have been some guys that have probably scored a little less than they could have if we ran, you know, a pattern or a continuity or sets and, and always ran stuff for certain guys. Um, guys have bought into this this concept of being selfless, great teammates that share the basketball. And so, but that starts in the recruiting process. And, but so once they're here and guys are actually performing on a daily basis, um, something that we've done, and, and we didn't do it this year because of, of the pandemic and just a shortened season, but we'll actually do something where we do a menu. Um, and so we'll, we'll put together a list of, all right, you know, these these guys in a roster, they each have three to five things on their menu that they're looking for when they play. So, you know, the, our point guard may be looking for, you know, he's trying to get into these four type of actions, get these type of shots um, and then go all the way down the roster. And then we hand that menu to the players. And so some of those guys, they're going to have probably a few more things on that menu 
that are actually shot specific. Like we need this guy to get as many open in rhythm threes as humanly possible. We need this guy to screen a little bit more. And so you try and get it through in a, you know, maybe a, a non-threatening manner. Cause I think one of the big things when it comes to, to playing basketball at a high level is the, the players need to be confident and believe in themselves. And so there's always that balance as coaches as we're trying to get them to buy into roles. Some guys need to probably shoot a little bit more than others, but you don't want this, the other guy to not believe in himself when time comes to, to shoot the basketball some. And so you're trying to always walk that line of every guy needs to be confident, but we all need to kind of know what those great shots are for whom, for when, from where. And so it's, it's a tricky thing, no doubt, but the menus have been really good for us. Uh, and then I think as, as you go through the course of a season and as guys get older together, players get older together, generally there's, there's an awareness factor too, right? There's, there's people that are just aware. All right, these two, three, they need a few more shots than, than these two or three guys. Um, and we'll have small conversations, you know, again, it, trying to do it in a non-threatening manner because I don't want to crush kids' confidence. I, I want every person on a roster to believe they can get it done um, while understanding what's best for the whole. Oh, I really like the menu idea. I mean, just a role identification and handing it to the team. Got a couple questions around that. Sure. So it, it, you give it to the team and they have this role identification Um you know, how does it feel? Does it help to know what everybody else is doing in the role identification? And then the second part of that is, uh, does it leave options to grow? Like if a player looks here and says, I want to get here, are you having those kind of regular conversations with a player that says, this isn't on my menu, but I want it on the menu. What does that look like when you're talking with players? Yeah, absolutely. I think no question it has helped. Um, and, and we kind of pull it out the, the menu concept at different times, depending on what we feel like the team needs. So there are some teams we've used it very early in the season. There are some teams we maybe we've waited, you know, a month of practice and now we've pulled it out because we're trying to figure out who we are. And, and that's something that's really big. And it kind of, you know, you alluded to it there with the second piece of your question is like knowing who you are and wanting that to continue to expand. And so sometimes it takes a little bit longer to figure out who we are as a team and who we are as individuals. Um, so if we feel like we know a little bit more about who we are, maybe we'll do that menu early. But if we're still trying to figure that out, maybe we'll give that menu a little bit later in the season as, as we've figured it out through practice or, or through early few games. Um, with our guys, like we'll, we'll hand it to them. And honestly, we'll do it in front of the whole team, like give everybody a copy of it. And it's, we're not going to sit down and dissect it for, for an hour, but we'll just, all right, you know, read through this guys, you know, take a peek at, at what we think are important things for you to, to look at offensively, to try and help your teammates get into. Um, and, and over the course of a season, what we'll do then is we'll just kind of revisit it. And we'll obviously spend a lot of time on skill development. That's something that's really big uh, at our level. We can't do the in or the out of season workouts. Um, we don't have the fall and the spring. We sure as heck don't have summer workouts. So we have to have a, a very intentional uh, focus on it during season. We've got to get better during season. And so as guys continue to develop, you know, over the course of October, November, December, January, no doubt their, their menu can expand. It can change um, once we get into late season. And that's our hope with motion is that as, as guys continue to get better, the offense gets better. 
Um, so if you ever watch us in, you know, go back and watch one of our games in November of a season, I guarantee it doesn't look as good as what we're doing offensively in January and February, just because the, the guys have continued to get better as individuals and they've continued to figure out how it all fits together uh, when we run our motion. Matt, when you think about your time as an assistant and a, and a head coach at Oshkosh, what would you say, what adversity, struggle, pain points did you experience that really, you know, was significant in building the program to where it is today? Uh, I, obviously, right away, um, we took over a program that had uh, had success in the 90s, early, uh, mid-2000s, had some really good teams, made an Elite Eight, uh, you know, made quite a few national tournaments, um, but had fallen on really tough times in, in 2011-12, had not won, they did not win a conference game. They went 0-16 that year. Um, and this is, you know, arguably the best league in Division Three, And so we were facing a really big uh, uphill battle there those first few years. And in some ways, there's less pressure, right? You're clearly at the bottom. <laughs> Maybe there's not quite as much pressure. But we, we were struggling those first few years. Is we've got to get who we are in place. We've got to get the right guys on the bus. And we got to try and start building this thing and winning basketball games. And so um, those first few years were, were just tough because you're trying to get these recruits to buy into a vision. Um, unfortunately, we were able to get some pretty good players to buy into it. We, we had some success in 2015-16. We made a national tournament. Um, and then 16-17, we, we made it as well. But 16-17, we made it kind of by the skin of our teeth. Like we, we probably shouldn't have been in. And the national committee uh, let us in that year because we had a, a ridiculous strength of schedule. Um, but for back-to-back -back years there, we did not advance out of the first round of the national tournament, which from our league, the, the standard had been set. Like you, you get into the national tournament and you make a run. You don't lose in the first round. And so in 2017, we were sitting around as coaches like, man, we got to find a way to win a game in this national tournament. Like we got to stop losing in the first round. 18, 19, there, you know, there were small things in, in and throughout the season that were tricky, but I mean, we, we had a magical year. Um, so I, I don't think I'd dive through a ton of that and go, man, that was true adversity. You know, it was, it was a pretty special year. 1920, like if you go look at 1920, we had kind of a rocky start to that season. Um, we, we were just above 500 uh, coming out of, out of non-conference play, going into conference play. And so we were truly around Christmas time, right around early January, we were still trying to figure out who the heck we were as a basketball team. Um, and that was a really challenging uh, few months, few weeks for our program. And Eventually, we did figure it out, and we went 11-3 in, uh, in conference, and we won a game in the national tournament. But that was, that was just a tricky dynamic because we had been really good the year prior, and now we were struggling for a few months. Um, but fortunately, the guys you know, stayed committed to who we were, and, and we ended up putting together a really nice season. Um, so it, it's just been, it's been a blast you know, the last nine years at Oshkosh, obviously. And, and looking back, um, it has been challenging in some ways, but, but I, I probably wouldn't change it, uh, for anything. Matt, as you think about, um, some of those things, the adversity that, that you've been through in the team that you've built to this point right now, if somebody's to ask you, how are you trying to win, Matt? Like, how are we trying to win? How is Oshkosh going about this in a elevator speech, 60 seconds? How would you say this is how we're trying to win basketball games? Yeah, I would go back to we are recruiting high character, great teammates like we are going to get the right dudes in the locker room. 
Um, and then we're going to compete every single day, whether it's in season or out of season. We're, we're going to invest uh, in ourselves, in our team. Um, and when we step on the court uh, for practice, for, for you know, any time they play open gym, our guys are going to compete every single second of every single day. We're going to try and be as competitive as humanly possible. Um, and then while we're, while we're doing all of that, we're going to have a lot of fun in the process. And, and I, I think I, you know, at times I lose sight of that. You know, I, I get ultra competitive at moments and, and my wife will snap me back to reality and just be like, you're, you're coaching basketball, like quit complaining. And, and you just got to go back to having fun. And because it, it is, it's a long season. It's a long four years for some kids. And so we got to make sure we're having a ton of fun while we're chasing some pretty high standards. Matt, how would you describe if somebody has come into your program, the practice arena, like what's it look like in practice? Like some general philosophies that you've had that coaches listening would say, man, I, I need to implement that because this has been really good for us in our practices. Sure. Yeah. I, I hope if they, if they walk in, they're seeing these things, right. Our, our, everybody, every coach's hope is, is that we're, we're having quality practices on a daily basis, but uh, we want our practices to be very efficient. And so if you come to a practice, you're not going to see a two and a half, three hour practice. You're going to see two hours, probably in early part of the season. And you're going to see that number drop significantly as the season goes, because we're trying to maintain our guys' bodies and their health as we go through a season. But while we're in the gym, it is going to be go. Like we we are not slowing down. It's going to be very intense, very very competitive, very fast paced. Um, I, I at times you know I'll, I'll start talking and I just try and shut myself up because the guys enjoy practice so much more when it's fast paced, competitive, intense. Um, we're very very big into no matter if you're in a drill, out of a drill, whatever it is, you are energetic and enthusiastic. Um, to the point where our guys probably get annoyed with this because I, I am on them constantly about clapping their hands, about talking to their teammates, um, celebrating wins in a practice, celebrating stops defensively, picking up teammates off the court. You know, anytime a guy goes down, every person in the gym has to sprint over and pick them up. And then hopefully that carries over to the game. We run for very little. Like I, I'm not a big put you on the line, run you type guy. Um, but one of the things you will run for a couple of things you'll, you'll run if you're not into it with your energy and enthusiasm, if you're standing off to the side and you're not engaged, we're going to run. Um, if you don't go pick up a teammate when he's down, we're going to run. If you lose a drill, maybe we run a lot of times we'll just go get water and we'll move on to the next thing. Um, so I hope when, when a coach leaves our gym, if a high school coach, college coach, anybody walks in and watches us. They're going to see a team that is competing their tails off. They're having fun um, and they're there for each other. And hopefully it's, it's been a good practice. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think coaches sometimes might not um, couple having fun with, with a highly intense environment. Those two things can definitely coexist. Matt, you just finished your third year as a head coach and it sounds like you're really well prepared for this moment, but if you were to rewind the clock and, and give advice to yourself, and ultimate advice to you know hundreds of coaches that'll listen to this. What do you wish you knew? What do you wish you knew before you got that three and a half years ago that interim tag that you know now? Um, I think it's something I'm still getting better at for sure. Is is late game? Uh, I I never I did not coach 
AAU. I did not coach high school. I had never been a head coach um, of any kind. And, uh, you know, unless you're counting like a fifth grade camp somewhere. Um, and so I, I'm trying to get better at just late game situations and walking into a huddle and, and knowing exactly what we're going to run when. Um, and obviously I, I study it like crazy. I've got a very detailed plan, but it's still, it's, it's that, it's that repetition that, that a coach, you know, has done it for 25 years when they walk into a huddle with 30 seconds left in the game and they're down one, they're like, yep, here's what we're going to. Um, and, and so I, I still, I want to grow in my confidence in that moment. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm guessing some coaches will give you kind of a, a facade when it comes to that, like. I go back and I think I've screwed up several times over the years, uh, over the last three years when it comes to that. And so I would encourage coaches to um, maybe put themselves in those positions as an assistant mentally, at least like you're, you may be in practice, you're getting a chance to, to do some late game stuff, but can you just go and watch uh, synergy or, or huddle or watch a game on TV and maybe you're you're watching an NBA game and you pause the TV with 12 seconds sideline out your your team down to pause the TV, draw something up, then play it, see what they run, see what you had looked at running. And like, all right, maybe that wasn't the best plan I had just drawn up or, oh, I actually think that might have worked. Um, you know, try and put yourself in those situations uh, as you're going through your, your time as an assistant coach. And then you'll probably be a little bit more comfortable with it uh, as a head coach. I think that that's an important growth. I was in a staff meeting this morning and we were talking about game coaching. And sometimes you do have to experience it, but you can watch NBA games for side out of bounds. You can watch March Madness for situational play. So that being said, learning what, saying what you learn, do you do any situational or do you do uh, have an approach to situational play in your practices? Yeah, absolutely. And and we kind of do a couple of different things within it. Um, and I'll kind of get to that. So what we'll do is we'll, a couple of different of the games we'll play. We call them 70 point games. Um, we just it's 70 to 70. And as soon as the team reaches 74 or 76, sometimes we even go like up to 78. Um, as soon as they reach the target score, kind of like Elam ending, um, what we'll then do is we'll actually put two minutes on the clock. And then we'll play the last two minutes out. So, you know, let's say we're playing to 76 and, and one team reaches 76. So 76, 72. All right. Two minutes starts. And now we play out the last two minutes. And so it creates a different scenario every single time you play that thing. Um, we'll also do what we, we call like minute five or minute 10 games. And we'll just put all right minute 10 on the clock. Um, black team has the ball baseline out down to let's play. And so we'll just, we'll play out a minute 10, which ends up being, you know, probably three, four possessions, uh, depending on, on the pace at the end of the game. Um, but those are really good because it's just focused on that last minute essentially of a game. And you can kind of tweak the situation that the team is in. Um, and so what we'll do within that is sometimes an assistant will coach uh, a team. Sometimes I'll run over and just take the board for, you know, either team, whatever they need at that moment, and I'll draw something up. Um, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just let the players coach themselves. As what we want ultimately is uh, one of our big goals is to be a player-led program and to be a player-led program in the biggest moments of our season. Like if, in, if a minute is left in a basketball game, 
and we don't have any timeouts and we're playing for a conference championship, a trip to go to the final four or whatever, if it's a huge moment, can that team on the court coach themselves and we don't have to be a part of it? You know, we, cause we might not be able to, we may be out of timeouts and those guys just have to be able to manage themselves. So we do that a lot where it's all right, here's the scenario. You, you two teams are coaching yourselves, figure it out. Here's a dry erase board. If you want it, if not go, um, and it's really fun to watch, you know, kind of all those dynamics, watch your assistants coach, you as the head coach, get the opportunity to draw some things up and work on specific things. And it's really fun to watch your players, see what they come up with. Um, Cause generally they, they, they're going to believe in whatever they come up with, which is a lot of fun. Matt, I got one final question for you here. What, what are you paying attention to and what are you charting? So if you were like practice games, like what kind of stats are you looking at that matter to your team, um, whether it's in game or practice? Yeah. Again, we try and keep it very, very simple. Um, and, and so I, I don't want to overcomplicate our staff. You know, at our level, I've, I've got myself, I've got two assistants, and then I've got a couple of student managers. And so we, we try not to overcomplicate because the last thing I want to do is tell the team, all right, we're going to track this the entire year. And then three weeks in, we, we just can't do it because we gave ourselves too many things to do. Uh, so we try and keep it simple. Uh, and I just think it's easier for the players to understand too, if you're very simple and focused on a few things. So in a game, kind of our, our big three things defensively, uh, we want to lead the, the league in defensive field goal percentage. We want to lead the league in three-point defensive field goal percentage. And we want to lead the league in defensive – or, sorry, in, in rebounding margin. Because we've tracked uh, – now going back to 2010-11 season, I believe is when I started tracking it, that if you finish in the top three of those categories uh, in our league, you're either winning the league or you're finishing second. Um, so those are very simple for guys to buy into. All right, you need, we need to lead the league in these three categories and we'll probably be in a really good place. We're very big into uh, shot contests and that this is probably the more involved thing at our level is because it requires an assistant to go back and watch every game, but we, we chart shot contests. And so one of our assistants will, will go on a, on a Sunday and, and watch the Saturday game and chart every time we contested a shot versus every time we, we didn't contest a shot. And same thing offensively, how many times we took contested versus uncontested. Um, what we found uh, over the course of the last three years doing it is when we contest shots, teams shoot at about 28%. When teams get uncontested shots, they shoot at about 68% uh, against us. And so that's a pretty easy selling point for guys. Go, go put a hand in the guy's face and contest a shot. Okay? You can screw up anything you want to screw up defensively, but go contest a shot and we'll probably be okay. And then the other simple metric that we use, is just points per possession. Um, and, and we don't, you know, Synergy provides it, uh, but we use a very simple one where we truly just chart it during a game and we try and see where we're at points per possession wise. And so um, our goal is to be over a one for offense and under a one for defense uh, is our, our standard. Um, and so we'll use uh, kind of a, a simple version of those sometimes in practice, like we'll chart for a, for a drill Maybe we'll try and chart shot contests if we're playing, you know, a 70 point game. All right, here's where you were. You were, you know, you took four shots and three of those shots were contested. You guys got to work for better shots. On the other side of things, defensively, you guys contested three out of four. So we'll try and do some of those in practice. Um, points per possession is a big thing in practice. We'll just 
every drill, that's usually how we decide who wins or loses, you know, who, who's got the better points per possession number. Um, if, if you do, then, then you want it. And then the, the other thing we do in practice to, to try and make it competitive and intense is, is our, and it's, again, it kind of, I stole it from my, my coaching tree that I belong to. A lot of us use this point system in practice where every drill you win just has one point assigned to it. So if I win a five on five drill, three on three, one on one shooting, passing footwork, whatever it is, um, I get a point. And if I, if I have the most points over the sort over a uh, set of practices and we practice usually like four days on one day off um, until we get to conference play. And then you're in kind of a rhythm for conference play. But if I have the most points at the end of a set of practices, then I get to wear a special practice Jersey. And so we just find a cool practice Jersey that's unique. Um, And if I'm wearing that Jersey, the next set of practices, then I get some perks, some incentives, Um, You know, maybe it's it's a uh, points per possession scoring system in a drill and it it behooves me to to start on offense. Well, then I've got the jersey. I get to start on offense. Um, You know, if if coach has come up with a a defensive scoring model, then I want to start on defense. If a drill ends in a tie, usually all right points. All right. He's he's got the jersey. Um, His team wins. I don't have time for a tiebreaker. We're on to the next drill. Um, and then the person with the most points at the end of a season gets to keep that that unique practice jersey. And it's just kind of like a badge of honor. I won the most during practices uh, for this entire season. Yeah, Matt, that's really good. Hey, uh, no surprise that you've built a really special program at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. And we look forward to following you over the years. And just thank you for spending time and, and pouring into coaches as Coaches come here to get educated, inspired, and encouraged, and you definitely did that uh, on this episode. Where can where can people find you? Like, where's a good place to follow you and and, and pay attention to you and your team? Yeah, we're we're really active on on Twitter. Um, as my my Twitter account is UWO Coach Lewis. Um, our our main Twitter account for basketball is UWO MBB, um, and then yeah, you know, we have Instagram and and some other things, but. I would also say if, if anybody has questions, you can you can email me. Um, you can my cell phone number is is 504-390-5597. Text me, call me, whatever. I don't care. Um, if if I don't respond, it's because my wife has told me to lay off the, the responses for a day or two. But I promise I, I will respond to anybody and everybody that reaches out to me. Well, we really appreciate that, Matt. So thanks for taking the time to join the Hardwood Hustle. Uh, That is Sam Allen. I am TJ Rosine, and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. If you haven't already, don't forget to check out PGC's coaching clinics. There are six locations to choose from, and each clinic will feature a variety of topics and speakers, which you can check out now at pgccoaching.com. From the Harwood Hustle team, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Harwood underscore Hustle. We can't wait to be with you again next week.